You are listening to Auckland Libraries on SoundCloud. Welcome to the Library Uncovered podcast. This is episode one. Today we'll be looking at the beginnings of the public library in Auckland, including the story around Sir George Grey's donation. Kyoto ko Mark Gosper Tienne. Thanks for tuning in. In this series, I'll take you behind the scenes at Tamaki Pātaka Kōrero, the Auckland Central Library. We'll uncover a bit of the history of Auckland's public library and meet some of the people who have worked in one of the city's most popular public buildings. Before 1880, the only thing resembling a public library in Auckland was the small collection housed in the increasingly dilapidated premises of the Mechanics Institute the library of which was restricted to paying members. Former Deputy City Librarian Wynne Colgan details the demise of the Institute in his book The Governor's Gift. He says, And in a year when water had been laid on to the hospital, the post office, the jail, and the lunatic asylum, the Institute still had only its well. Though whatever educational influence it had exercised had long since disappeared, the Institute had been the intellectual and social centre of the city and virtually its only meeting place for nearly 38 years. Nevertheless, for all of its shortcomings, the Institute's library, continues Colgan, held the seeds of what would grow into New Zealand's most widespread public library system. That was 1877. Georgia Prince has worked with the library's special collections for many years. She describes how George Gray's gift provided the genesis for the new public library. So what happened was he had already created his own personal library, um, which included medieval manuscripts and early printed books. And he, at the end of his tenure as governor in the Cape Colony in South Africa, he had left behind this collection um, for the benefit of South Africa. So he, he gave his library away in 1861 to South Africa. And, when he came ba- and then he came back to New Zealand for his second term of, as governor, and he started almost immediately collecting again. And it's fairly, <clears throat> it's fairly clear that that type of collecting was partly personal, <clears throat> but partly, um, but partly with a view to um, you know another donation. I mean, he was already thinking of giving a similar gift to Auckland um, as he started collecting again. He he collected things that he'd already given away in South Africa and then he, he bought you know others and he was thinking of giving the library to Auckland um, even even as back as far as the 1860s. Oh okay mm. I thought yes yeah, under the impression that the in the end the donation hadn't been made in South Africa and was instead made here no but it was a it was a different no it was to, there were two two gifts okay. there was a gift to South Africa and then there was a then there was a gift to Auckland in 1882. So okay. 22 years later, mm. he sent a telegram to the um, city council, saying, "You know, um, I'm I want to give my library to the city, to the people of Auckland." Is actually what he said. 
Um, and what happened then was that um, they needed to build a building um, suitable to house it, and that's why the art gallery building was built. The building that we oh we the can build, almost yeah, see. You can almost see through the through the greenery through in the my greenery. office. Yeah, um, yeah. That building was built specifically to house Gray's collection. I mean, he included paintings in the collection, which were part of the art gallery donation as well. Okay. Um, so that was the art gallery and library um, at that point in 1887 when it opened, and that's when the medieval manuscripts and early printed books and things came into the collection. They were brought to that building. Mm. Um, and he kept on adding to the collection until he died in 1898. But then we got subsequent people who built on that. And uh, I mean, it, it was it was sort of the idea of the, of the, of the, of providing civilization to Auckland. <laughs> that was it, um, really. And there is rather, I don't think I can quote it from memory, but there is quite a funny letter that his niece, who, who he adopted as his daughter, um, sent. Um, I can't even remember who she sent it to, where she talks about, you know, she, she sounds like, it sounds like sour grapes. You know, she said, the people of Auckland aren't up to it. You know, basically she was pretty dismissive of Auckland as a place to benefit from such a wonderful collection. <laughs> Um, so it does sound like sour grapes because she didn't get um, the inheritance and right. he spent all his money on the books because um, <clears throat> I don't think he did leave very much um, when he died really I mean he had spent spent I mean he wasn't that wealthy really yeah um, I mean comparatively he was of course but he wasn't landed gentry or anything um, and his money was really as a um, employee um, of the crown um, not as a you know, he didn't have private fortune. I mean, he was a soldier, actually. <laughs> um, and he never went to university, and, I, and he, was a, he was one of those sort of autodidacts. You know, he taught himself, and he was, he was a, um, a linguist as well. But I think his choice of um, books for his library, which he gave away, is, is often quite... Uh, um, What's the word? It's not. It's not impersonal, but you know, it, it's quite a consciously um, public collection. I mean, mm. apart from the language material, which I do think is his personal interest, a lot of what he gave has a public face to it. It's you know a good example of this type of printing. It's you know, you know, a couple of Caxtons. It's a, you know, it's not. It's not a subject-based collection. It's a collection where the highlights are pulled out there are good bits of this and there's you know there's some science here there's some art here there's a you know there's examples of all the best printers there's some medieval manuscripts some early printed books you know mm. it, it's um you know some first editions the shakespeare you know it's it it's not a um it's not a completest collection it's not a collection of one topic or one type of thing which is often what collectors do yeah naturally um uh, you know, it's a sort of natural pattern pattern for a lot of collectors is to be quite completist. You know, you want a, a topic area. Mm, mm. His is um, best examples of, you know, that's <laughs> across the ages. Um, uh, and, yeah. it, as an ex and, it, and it does, ha so it does have that sort of public uh, face to it. Um, and he, he had that intention behind it as he was collecting. I'm sure he had that intention. It's quite generous, really. It's very generous. It? 
but it is also um, a form of immortality. Right, right. You know, yeah. I mean, like... Yeah, it's funny you say that because I've, I've written <laughs> down here, because um, you mentioned Alexander Turnbull, mm. and, and then mm. we've got the Hocken Library right. in, in yeah. Dunedin. Yeah. Um, so this library, well, it, it sort of does now, but in a, in a smaller way, could have carried his name. It could have carried his name. Um, and in a way, it's a, a sort of pity it didn't really. Um, but it's quite hard to do it after the fact, you know. Um, it, 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 as a collection, it is as significant in it as those other collections. It's not as big as Turnbull's, um, and it's not as subject-focused as Hockham's, which is definitely a New Zealand-focused collection. Um, but it has some great things, and it has, you know, some great works that Turnbull doesn't have. Um, those, those libraries, and you could call them research libraries. Well, one's maybe. a university library, yeah, which is, a, you know, and it is a research library. Turnbull's is the national library. They are research libraries, and and we're a public library, and. And it was deliberate. He could have given it to the university. He does say in in the um, telegram that he where he promises his collection. He starts off by saying something like, "Now that Auckland has a university, I am going to fulfil this idea that I've had for a number of years, or something." I, mean, I can't you know, can't remember the exact wording, but that's it in the gist. And donate my collection to the people of Auckland, but he doesn't doesn't donate it to the university. Um, and I think that is deliberate, because although I think people net think of him as autocratic in terms of his character, <laughs> and he he did have a strong um, sort of democratic belief, which is quite interesting. Really, mm. it's quite it's a it's a bit of a um, you know personal. Um, conundrum, the way he, he behaved as an autocrat but believed in democracy. Mm. Um, and he was, and he, he does talk in one of his speeches about um, how much he dislikes private libraries where people lock away, you know, all these beautiful treasures and no one ever sees them. They're all in private libraries. In the former library building, the Grey Collection came to be housed in what was known as the Grey Annex. The New Zealand Herald of 12th December 1913 reported... In order to display these collections to the best advantage, the City Council decided when the municipal offices were removed to the Town Hall to build the present annex. While the room is possibly not ideal for the purpose, it will nevertheless serve admirably to display the collections. The room is irregular in shape. At its greatest length, it measures 31 feet and at its greatest width, 29 feet. Specially designed cases fitted with glass fronts have been constructed, and in these the manuscripts and books have now been suitably arranged and displayed under the direction of the city librarian, Mr John Barr. In all, there are no less than 120 manuscripts. Numerous invitations have been extended to citizens to attend the opening ceremony this afternoon. Former library manager Jeff Chamberlain one of the things I remember is the, um, the Sir George Grey collection was housed um, on, well, I was going to say the fourth, fourth floor was housed in the, um, 
in the in the clock tower. So you had to go up more stairs to get to it, and it, which was kind of always a dodgy expedition. I don't know that I ever went up there. But these very valuable, well, what now are considered to be really valuable books, I suppose, then were considered to be valuable, were housed up there, no air conditioning, there were broken windows things, the pigeons used to get in from time to time, shit all over them. Um, it was just unbelievable. So they went from the you know ridiculous to the sublime. They went from this appalling conditions they were kept into air conditioning and being properly looked after and properly showered. So, mm. yeah. Rob Edoetta looks after Māori collection material housed within the Sir George Grey Special Collections. Uh, the Māori manuscripts uh, would be written in te reo, predominantly in te reo, um, and, and gathered at an early period of time. Uh, Grey's New Zealand Māori manuscripts are, are substantial collections which many people have used for their writing and academia and everything else. Yeah, is that, is, is that something that falls into the category of, of Taonga or, or not because it because it was it, it was through the lens it was through Gray's eyes that those things were kind of it was his was it his sort of his his take on Maori culture. Um, no, because the contributors to those manuscripts are predominantly Maori. Okay, and um, they've written these manuscripts and then sent them to him. Oh, okay. So he went out and sought these. Yes. Um, he even commissioned for for some of them to be done. Okay. In our collection is Terami Kaheke, who was commissioned to um, to generate these manuscripts or to record okay. specific um, material pertaining to his people. What sort of material? What sort of information? Stories and songs, and you know, yep. about battles and. Um, ancestral stories about um, ancestors that came here and and how you know how they talk to each other like in proverbs and all those sort of things enrich the culture in the sense of an oral culture so to have them documented and in establishing a precedence for them to be recorded and to be left for future generations was their objective. Yeah, so they've, they've, they've sort of become an important historical resource. Definitely. Because a lot of that stuff wouldn't have been written down. Well, they're on the UNESCO's Memory of the World Register. Oh, um, really? Those Māori manuscripts, Sir George Gray's um, Māori manuscripts, yes. So they have international significance mm. too, mm. but more so more significant to Terangi Kahiki's people uh, in the Rotorua area. So they have substantial significance too, and, and to the descendants of Terangi So if I if I was from that area material like that could be an important resource in terms of if I was looking at my whakapapa or if I was trying to build a sort of a picture definitely for family history you know it's substantial in the sense of especially if you're of people of that region 
and specifically, you know, they've got many other lines that include other hapu and uh, rounds of Aotearoa, mm. as there are a number of, of them, or of the iwi of Te Aroa. So it's rich with that. But so there are, are areas of contention in the sense of, you know... In the manuscripts? No, with... With the rights and entitlements to have access to it. In the sense of... Um, in the Māori sense of that. It's quite a, a difficult um, area quite contentious in the sense because the boundaries are constantly moving in the sense of generations mm -hmm. and how they perceive how um, these tonga should be treated or should they be repatriated should they be situated not in Auckland but in Rotorua um, and all these um, questions and questions that will continue on through the generations as part of the journey of these Tonga. Um, one cannot speculate, you know, of what demands will be placed on Presently they are here. So the contentious area there for me is because who am I? to be giving access to, to other people, to Tonga that belongs to another hapu or another people. Is that, is that how that would be viewed in Te Ao Māori? That, you're, 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 that would be viewed that way, yes. You're sort of overstepping a bit there. But oh, definitely, you know. Not in a minuscule way either. Really? How do, so yeah. how do you reconcile that? You've had to reconcile that? Or? <laughs> I've been here for quite some time. Right. And it's always a contentious area. Yeah. Concerning time. Many of the manuscripts that Rob refers to there can be accessed through the library's new research platform, Kura, on Auckland Library's website. Though no longer in a dusty attic, ongoing care of the Grey Special Collections is not without complexity, cultural and otherwise. The Sir George Grey Special Collections live on the second floor of your central library. Come and take a look. Join me on the next episode where I talk to Georgia Prince about the Rare Books Collection.